Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. And at some point in here, because I've preached so much out of Paul, at some point in here I'm going to call Peter Paul. I guarantee it. So if you hear Paul, it's really Peter. And I'll probably correct myself at some point, so just keep that in mind. Peter wrote, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dispensation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Amen. Amen. You will bow your heads with me and pray. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations deeper than all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It doesn't take people who have read just a small amount of scripture to understand that Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh. The big one that we see is that Christ suffered on the cross in the flesh. But if we back up into the Gospels, before the cross, we will see that Jesus suffered indignities, reproaches, and persecutions from the men around him. Then Jesus' flesh suffered the wrath of God on the cross. There he suffered for the curses of the law, and finally he suffered for death itself. And as Christians, and when we come to Christ, and when we become Christians, we need to arm ourselves mentally and physically. We need to arm ourselves with this same purpose, that there will come at us indignities, and they will be unmerited. They'll be contemptful conduct toward us. And we have to be ready for that, that there is going to be people coming after us that are going to try to persuade whether it be us or whether it be others that we are not the people that we're claiming to be, that Christ did not save us, that we are not Christians because of this, this, and this. And they will do this through reproaches, which is to charge with a fault in a very severe language to suggest blame. They will come. They will charge you with faults. Some may be yours that you need to repent for and get on with life. Some may not. It might be outright total lies that they're using just, just to malign your walk and try and get people to turn their backs on you, to, to make you wonder, is this journey that I was on, is this walk with Christ even worth it if this entire world is going to basically hate me so bad that they don't want anything to do with me. 
And it may come to a point where you'll suffer persecutions. Which is defined as to inflict pain, punishment, or death upon others. And it may come to a point when family and friends will turn their back on you and intentionally do things to try to hurt you. It may come to a point in society where just being a Christian is going to be illegal and you're, you can be jailed, fined, or tortured, and possibly even put to death. But that's fine. When we suffer in the flesh, it takes our mind and puts it on Christ. A lot of times people will say the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. And the fact of that is, is that statement is completely and totally false. Because if God give you, never give you any more than you can handle, you'd never need Christ. Amen. You'd never need to lean on the Savior. You'd never need Him if you could handle it on your own. And the fact is, is we cannot handle this life on our own. We can't handle the things that get thrown at us on our own. We can't handle the struggles of life on our own. We cannot handle anything in life on our own. Because if we could, we wouldn't be a people of prayer. And that's why we pray. To have God intercede in to help us through our struggles and help us in life. We need God, we need Christ to help us cease from sinning, to crucify the flesh. And we need Christ for what's coming. When the people come at us to try and dissuade us from walking with Christ, we need to be able to lean on Him. We need to have somebody that's going to understand us for who we are. So, until that day that we're called home, we have to live life in the flesh as Christians. The offside of that is, is that there's living life in the flesh as a Christian, or just living life in the flesh. If we're living life as Christians in the flesh, we're not going to seek the loss of the flesh or the loss of the world, the things that make us happy. And Peter does list those sins. But rather living our life in the flesh as Christians, we live our lives seeking the will of God. We seek to do those things that are pleasing to God. We seek to become better people. We seek to become better Christians. We seek to become Christ-like. Peter had written in verse 3, For the time has already passed. And what he's saying there is basically, and it's true with all of us, we've had our time to sin. We've had our time to sin. We've had our time to do the things that are desires of the Gentiles. As he wrote. You know, the time has already passed. And it's been sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
we look at these sins, sensuality is what satisfies the body. When we're sinning to satisfy the body, we're not satisfying God. We're not satisfying Christ. We're satisfying self. We see lust and we think that it's a longing desire for the opposite sex. But we can really lust not only after sex, but after money and possessions. The, the mere thoughts of them can come in and so overtake our thought process that no longer are we thinking on scripture, are we thinking on the things of God, are we praying for other people, but now we're looking at the opposite sex, we're looking at vehicles or houses or money or property or whatever, you know, and it really becomes a, a thing of the mind. And lusting and covetedness are real close together. Real close together. And could almost at some point be interchanged for one another. Peter mentions drunkenness. We know what drunkenness is. Carousing. Drinking hard and chasing the opposite sex. And carousing used to be something that was associated with men, but it's not. It can be any of us. Parties where we're going out and getting drunk and not only sinning, but also making a mockery of Christ in the process. And then he mentions abominable idolatries, which is hateful worship, hateful worship toward God or worship of things not of God. And that could be anything that we put in front of God. Anything. Could be our favorite TV show that if it comes on during church time that, well, we're not going to church, we're gonna go watch TV. Or the big one that they always talk about in churches on Sundays is that all oh, we, we've gotta get done because people gotta be home by one o'clock because the football game's on. Or baseball or fishing or hunting or whatever it is it can become an abominable idolatry if you begin to worship those things above God so Peter told us you've had the time to sin you've had the time to carry out the desires of the Gentiles and this was all of us we have had our time to sin and all of us have come to a fork in the road and we get to that fork and we look down both paths and we go, do we continue on the path that we're on and continue enjoying our flesh? Or are we going to go down this path over here that's going to go to the cross, that's going to lead to God and lead to Christ? And we know that this road is going to be a harder road, but the journey being harder is also going to have greater reward at the end, or do we continue on as is? If you choose the road that it's going to be harder, if you choose the road that goes to the cross, if you choose the road that goes to God, it shouldn't at all surprise you that your friends, those that are still Gentiles, as Peter said, that sinners, they become surprised that you do not want to run into sin with them. They ask you, hey, why don't you come on over and we'll... We'll have a few beers and uh, 
you know, we'll watch the game and stuff. And you're like, well, no, I have to, I have to go study my Bible. I have to pray right now. Um, I'm not interested in, in getting drunk with you anymore. I'm not interested with going out for cruises anymore with you and going to different places and, and taking my mind off Christ. I need to keep my eyes on the prize. I appreciate the offer, but I can't do it anymore. And that puts the division in between you and them. They being dead in sin and you being alive in Christ. And they will start to malign you. And I said the word malign earlier a couple of times. And that means having an evil or hateful disposition toward you. At some point in time, the friends that you had prior to your conversion, prior to Christ, will get to the point that they either do not want to be around you or they will outright hate you. And you have to be of the resolve that you will have nothing to do with sin, even if it costs you your reputation among those that are dead in their own sin. You have to be so on target with where you're going that even, even if there are people around you that you know are Christian and you know are saved, and if something in your spirit, something pricks in your spirit and says, you know, I know they're Christians, I believe they're saved, I know they're good people, but something doesn't feel right with this, that you have that wherewithal, even with the saved and the unsaved alike, if it doesn't feel right in your spirit, to stop it right there and say, this doesn't feel right in my spirit, thank you for your offer, but I cannot do this. And once you call somebody else's actions into account, they are going to have an equal and opposite reaction. Sometimes they may understand. Sometimes it may just be a simple, oh yeah, I understand, you know, maybe I ought to think about what I'm doing too. It may be a, well, it's your loss. Do what you got to do, church boy. Sometimes it might be outright hate. But I want you to think of this, that if you stand up for what's right, if you're standing up for Christ, that the people's actions toward you, the people's action towards you are going to give an account of your changed heart and give an account of your countenance that has changed and went from a countenance that was dead in sin to a countenance that's alive in Christ. Just because you're being maligned doesn't mean it's a bad thing. We have to look at the positive side of it, that if people begin to hate you for your stance on Christ, that it's not a bad thing because it's evidence of a changed heart. It's evidence that you have taken what is in your Bible, that you have read what's in that Bible, and you're beginning to live it. That you're doing these things that God would want you to do, that Christ would want you to do. That you're not doing the things of the flesh that make you happy. There's a lot of things in this world that I would love to do. 
just absolutely love to do. I would love to go back. I would love to go back and have beer after beer after beer. Speed down the highway. <laughs> I'd like to do all that stuff. I'd like to cuss and swear constantly and have a grand old time. But I've been changed. I'm not that person that does that anymore. I'm a new creation. And how I am now gives an account to others that knew me 25, 30 years ago. It shows them that there's a difference, that he's changed. He's not the same guy that he was before. I mean, there may even be somebody in this very room, maybe two somebodies, that 30 years ago, I would go down and buy the necessary means to get drunk for weeks on end from their store, and now I stand here preaching to them. And it's not, no joke, no. 30 beers a day mm. for weeks, mm. every day, 10.99 plus deposit. On the counter, off I go. The next day, 10.99 plus deposit, and off I go. Today, there's no 10.99 plus deposit. There's a changed person that stands before you, changed by the power of God Amen. and by the grace of Christ upon the cross. Mm -hmm. yes. That changed countenance is not only going to show the old people that were in your life, and I'm not talking old as an aged, but the people of your old life that you have changed. But... It's also going to show other people. Yep. It's going to show other people that are also Christians that you are changed. There's going to be certain markers about your life that other Christians can look and see and go, you know what, I, I've seen this out of this person. I see what's going on. I see how they've changed. And I think that this would be a good person that I could be in fellowship with that I could go and study my Bible with and talk about the things of God and be in a safe and comfortable environment where I'm not going to be judged, I'm not going to be criticized, I'm not going to be persecuted, I'm not going to be maligned because I believe in God, that this is going to be somebody that I can trust. This is going to be my brother or sister that I can go up to and feel comfortable with. Peter wrote at the, the end of this section that the gospel has been preached. And the first one that he said is the gospel has been preached to those who are dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached to people since day one. The Old Testament believers didn't know who Christ was but they have been they were told from the very first that there is a coming Messiah since the first sin that there is a coming Messiah and that is what they must do they must believe that there is a coming Messiah this is what will separate Christianity from a lot of other religions is Jesus Christ that there is a coming Messiah 
in the New Testament, we see that Messiah come. We see the Messiah that was arrested, crucified, and died. And then we see the aftermath, as we've been reading in Acts. We see the aftermath of the Messiah's coming, his resurrection. And we start with the Holy Spirit coming down early in the book of Acts. The same Holy Spirit that we have now. We see this Holy Spirit coming and we see the church really begin to grow. At times, Peter, Paul, John had went out, they started preaching, and there wasn't a couple of people that the Holy Spirit infected, I will say. And they come to faith in Christ. On several occasions, after these men had preached, at one time, 5,000 people came to faith. Another time, 3,000 people came to faith. Yet again, they went in and preached in a Jewish synagogue on a Sabbath day. And the next gathering they had, what these men had said so impressed the people, the Holy Spirit was falling, that the next time that they stepped up to preach, the Bible says almost the entire city came to listen to them. So there was, there was the Messiah from day one. He was the one in Genesis when God said, let us create man in our image. It was God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So this was the people that were saved prior to Christ. They were the ones who are now dead. Now a lot of people will not understand scripture and not understand that Jesus is in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And they'll say, well, what about this person or that person or this person or that person? And I will tell you that no one in the history of mankind has ever had an excuse. No one ever, not a single person. And then the question comes, well, what about those who have never heard? And usually they'll go off on to people on islands in the Pacific that nobody's ever been to. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, this actually was Paul, not Peter. I did not screw that up. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having a law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Now what Paul was saying is, is that we all have the law of God written in our hearts, yet, yet our sin nature combats against our spirits, and it combats against us even after our hearts are changed. In this combat, our spirit and our flesh are at war. 
and our spirit is going to be attacked by our flesh for trying to turn our backs on the flesh. If you are very promiscuous and you go, you know what, I'm a saved person, I'm a Christian, that is sin, I'm not going to be promiscuous anymore. You will literally have a war on your hands. One of the things that we always joke about as married men, and it's kind of funny, is, is that where were all these women that were interested in us before the wedding ring went on the finger? When you come in to covenant with a spouse, God is also there. Satan would like no better than to break covenants. He will send the unsaved. He will send the people to try and break that covenant with God. Your flesh will want to do what the flesh wants to do, and it will war against the Spirit. If you've been somebody like myself who is an absolute, just ungodly alcoholic, and you decide one day, I'm done. I'm not drinking anymore. I may have one beer if I can handle it, but I will not go back where I was. You will literally have people coming out of the woodwork trying to pour beer down your throat, trying to pour alcohol down your throat. You'll be invited to parties that you never thought you'd be invited to. Literally, the world and Satan will try whatever it takes to get you back into the fold. Mm -hmm. And you will have a fight on your hands. You see, men and Satan will attack our walk and they will attack, they will attack our spirits. It's the sin nature that's in man that makes him want to kill, that makes him want to destroy what it doesn't understand. And if people do not understand Christ, they do not understand the Bible, they don't understand your walk, and they are still in the flesh, they will not understand it, and they will try to destroy it. It's one of the very basic things for why the world is like it is. If I don't understand why somebody does something or why somebody is like they are, I must destroy them if they're different than me. There is places now where we're getting past that. But for the most part, it's been like that for years. If it's different than me, I want to destroy it. Peter also said that the gospel's been preached to those that are spiritually dead. The gospel is preached and Christ is witnessed of by those who have put their trust in him. And that is the importance of us sharing our faith, no matter where we are. If we're at the store, if you feel the Holy Spirit leading you somewhere, share your faith. Tell the world about Christ. And there will be many times that you feel it. And sometimes you'll just go, oh, you know, I, I just, um, 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 and that's okay. But if you feel the Holy Spirit leading and you feel that you've got enough, enough courage built up to do it, 
do it. It's not going to hurt anything. What's, what's going to happen? The worst thing that can happen, the very worst thing that can happen, is somebody's going to kill you. That's the very worst thing. And our flesh cringes about that. They just It just cringes and it goes, but I don't want to die. But the fact is that we have to die in order to get our reward for our belief in Christ. It's like briar rabbit. When you come to the realization that Christianity is like the briar rabbit story, whatever you do, you can, you're going to get thrown back in the briar patch. And it looks like such a bad thing to the entire world. Oh, well, you're going to die. You're going to get killed. Oh, you're going to get stomped on. And it looks bad to us. But when you have that faith in Christ and you understand what's truly happening in this world and what's going to happen with you at the end, you do just like Briar Rabbit and you say, whatever you do, don't throw me in the Briar Patch. And basically fool them into throwing you in the Briar Patch. Hebrews, it was written, how shall they hear without a preacher? Now the thing with this is, is how shall they hear without a preacher? But how are many people going to hear without a witness? How are you going to hear without a witness? And we are all witnesses of Christ. And we're all witnesses of that transformation of our hearts. We're all witnesses of what we used to be when we were chasing the excess of the Gentiles into what we're doing now. We're all witnesses of that. And when the Holy Spirit calls on you to speak to somebody, you are going to be preaching to them the gospel of Christ. You will be preaching to them the transformation from flesh to spirit. You will be telling them about Christ. And it will be through you. It will be through the mouth that God has given you and through that spirit, through the Holy Spirit pouring out of that mouth that people are going to hear the gospel. If God can use somebody like me who's literally committed, I almost think every sin known to man if he can use somebody like me to preach the gospel to many, he can use each one of you to preach the gospel to one or two. He can use you in the grocery store. He can use you at doctor's appointments, dentist appointments. He can use you out on the street saying hi to somebody. He can use you at the door of the gas station, at the gas pump. God can use you wherever he wants to get his word to come out of your mouth and call another sheep into the fold to start that process. It can literally be you and another person. You witnessing to another person that gets it started. That gets the process started where they start thinking about God. Thinking about eternity. Thinking about Christ. Sparking the curiosity that in turn will bring them into the fold. As Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ like the rest of us. Amen? Amen. You will have men that will judge the works of your spirit. And I say men as in mankind, because it's going to come from men and women and sometimes children. And they'll say, well, you know, he's, he only did that because, you know, he was, he was being too big of a problem. And, you know, nobody liked him. That's why he did it. Or they may say, well, you know, there must be some other reason why he's acting like this. You know, he's, he's got something up his sleeve. He's the old trickster. 
So the men are going to judge the works of the Spirit, and we know that God will judge the works of our flesh. And this is where we have to stop and wonder to ourselves where we're alive. Are we alive in the Spirit, or are we alive in the flesh? James had written, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but, de but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To keep oneself unstained by the world. This is going to come down again to the Ten Commandments boiled down to the two. Love God and love your neighbor. It's going to come down to them too. And you're going to look back and say, okay, before I knew God, and I was completely in the flesh. Did I love God and did I love my neighbor? Truly. And how is that different now? Do I love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul? And do I love my neighbor as myself? Do you live life for your own wants and desires? Or do you live life as a disciple of Christ? Going out, not only being at war in yourself, but also being at war with the devil. Do you go out and preach? Do you go out and be Christ-like? Do you go out and do what's asked of you to do? So where do you find yourself today? And I'm talking honestly, where do you find yourself? And you don't have to answer this out loud, but... <laughs> Where do you find yourself? I want everybody to go and take a very, very hard look at their walk. And I want you to decide where do you find yourself today. Do you find yourself stained by the lust and cares of the world? Or do you find yourself alive in the Spirit and living for God, living for Jesus Christ? Now wherever you find yourself, wherever you honestly find yourself. I want you to go out and encourage those who are walking. I want you to encourage those that are seeking. I want you to warn those who could care less. Our time is short. What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for the end? Whose end? Your end? The second coming? The time is now. Go into all the world and make a difference for Christ. Go into all the world and be a Christian. Go into all the world and be unstained by that world. Go into all the world and honor God testify Christ and make disciples that though they are judged in the flesh as men 
they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Amen. 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 Amen.